this week will be in Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs chapter 10. So turn there with me. Proverbs chapter 10. Now just kind of remind you of the overall structure of the book of Proverbs. Chapters 1 through 9 are uh, really a cohesive unit where a father is sharing some things with his son. It's kind of a father-to-son message. But then there's a shift in chapter 10 where Solomon just starts listing different proverbs for life. These aren't necessarily a father directed to a son. These are just sundry proverbs that deal with, with many types of areas. This goes on for chapters, and there's a break where there's 30 sayings of the wise, and there's more proverbs of Solomon. So you'll see that as we journey through this book. And, and there are certain groups of these proverbs that we're about to study that, that are linked together, but you'll see that the subjects change. You know, from one proverb to the next. It's almost like he's, he's uh, talking about this over here, and then talking about this over here, and then dealing with this topic, and then dealing with this topic. And he's kind of going all over the place. Uh, but the best way I've heard the proverbs described is, is as a string of pearls. It's like Solomon has all these pearls of wisdom that he wants to give us, and he just strings them together and, and just gives them to us rapid fire so we can uh, learn them and apply them to our life. And so we're going to cover a lot of different issues but the overall theme of Proverbs 10 is, is righteous living. It's what Proverbs chapter 10 is about. And, and I'm calling this, this talk Wisdom for Righteous Living. And what we see emerge in this chapter are some characteristics of the righteous. And so, if you want to know if you're a righteous person, all right, you're going to be able to look at some characteristics tonight and then lay your life up beside those characteristics and say, well, maybe... I'm there, or maybe I've got some, some things to work on. We all got some things to work on, but these characteristics will help you to understand where you are in your spiritual journey. Are you a righteous person? Are you a, a godly person? These characteristics will show you that. Also, these characteristics will give you something to shoot for. They become goals or targets that you begin to approach uh, through the Spirit of God and, and desire to incorporate into your life. And so we're going to talk about those characteristics of the righteous tonight. But before we get to that, I want to spend a few moments laying a theological foundation so we understand what we mean when we say righteous or when we use the word righteousness. What is righteousness? What does it mean to be righteous? And, and I want to lay this theological foundation because it's very, very important for the rest of our conversation. So let me just give you two, two truths about righteousness, okay? Number one, righteousness is a position. It's a position. We are declared righteous by God when we place our faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. This declaration is made possible because our sins are forgiven and the righteousness of Jesus is given to us as a gift. And so, when we say righteousness, first of all, we use it in the sense of righteousness being a position of those who are saved. Because when I talk about characteristics of the righteous, we instantly have a problem. You know what the problem is? Romans 3.10 says, there is none righteous, no, not one. That's a problem, right? When Proverbs is talking about righteous living, but Romans says there's none righteous. So how do you deal with that quandary? I mean, how do we deal with the fact that none of us in here are righteous? Well, we've got to understand what salvation is. When we place our faith in Christ, His 
blood shed at Calvary washes away our sins, which speaks of complete and total forgiveness, right? And based upon the finished work of Jesus on our behalf, God the Father declares over us righteous. I'm holding no sin to their account. They've been made righteous because their sins have been washed away, and they've been given the righteousness of my Son as a gift. Now let me show you this in the Bible. Turn to Romans chapter 3 with me. Romans chapter 3. Verse 10, there's none righteous, no, not one. But look what Paul writes in verse 21. He writes, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. In other words, If you want to be right with God, if you want to have a right standing before God, you've got to receive it as a gift by faith. This righteousness, Paul says, is a gift you receive by placing your faith in Christ. Now, we're not talking about something you achieve. We're talking about something you receive. There's a big difference, right? All the world religions, except for biblical Christianity, say that you've got to achieve something for God to accept you. That's what all the religions say. But biblical Christianity says you can't achieve what you need to achieve because you're a sinner and you're separated from God. So your only hope is to have those sins washed away and for God to give you the gift of right standing, to give you the gift of righteousness. And that gift comes when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. That happened for me when I was nine years old. When I was nine years old, my pastor sat down with me, walked me through the Romans road. I saw I was a sinner in need of a Savior. I placed my faith in Christ. At that moment... God the Father, based upon Jesus applying his blood to my account, God the Father declared, Wade Humphreys, righteous. Sins washed away. Some people said that this declaration of righteousness is justification means that it's just as if we never sinned because our sins have been washed away by Christ. And and look what Paul says over in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Another letter of Paul. Look what he writes in verse 8. Now, earlier in chapter 3 of Philippians, Paul talks about how he tried to earn righteousness. He tried to earn God's favor by doing all the right religious things. I was a Pharisee of the Pharisee, Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was zealous, circumcised on the eighth day. I did all these things to try to, 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 to find a right standing with God. But here's what he says in verse 8. More than that, I count all things, all these religious acts, I count all things to be lost in view, watch this, of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He's saying knowing Christ, having a relationship with Christ is so much better than trying to achieve a right standing with God through religion. And he says, in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. Now watch this, verse 9. And may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law. He's, He's saying, this is not a righteousness I have earned, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. And so when we say that we have righteousness before God, we're saying 
we've received that right standing as a gift from God when we placed our faith in Jesus. Everybody got that? So no, nobody's righteous. That's a big issue. No one's righteous. But when we place our faith in Christ, God declares us righteous based upon the forgiveness of our sins that come from the cross. So righteousness is a, is a position, a, a declaration, a legal declaration uh, from God on behalf of our lives. But after you become a Christian, after you've received this gift of righteousness, righteousness then becomes a pursuit. Not only is it a position, but for the Christian, it's a pursuit. After you become a Christian, you've been forgiven for not being righteous, then God gives you the wherewithal to be righteous, to want to be righteous, to grow in righteousness, to, to want to, to please Him with your life. Now turn to Romans chapter 8. I want to show you this. Romans chapter 8. This is one of my favorite passages. Very important verse that you can just kind of miss if you just read through it fast. Look in Romans chapter 8, verse 3. Now listen, I haven't preached in two weeks. So just get ready. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just getting started. All right? Just, I mean, get comfortable. All right. Romans chapter 8, look at verse 3. Paul writes, for what the law could not do. You know what the law could not do? Look at me. It couldn't save. Law can't save. It can show you your need for a Savior, but the law can't save you. Why? Look at the next phrase. Weak as it was through the flesh. The reason the law can't save is because we're weak and can't keep it. God gives us ten commandments. We've all broke them. You know why? We're weak. We're sinners. We have a sin nature. So because we're so weak, because we have a sin nature, the law can't save us because we cannot keep the law in perfection. So what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. So the law could not provide salvation, so God provided salvation through another means. What's that mean? Sending, I love this, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He took on humanity, and as an offering for sin, he went to the cross. He died for our sins on the cross. He condemned sin in the flesh. So God the Father sent God the Son. Jesus came, came to earth. He died on the cross, and the Father punished our sins by punishing Jesus in our place. Right? Jesus took all of our sin, all of our filth, all of our impurity on himself, and then the wrath of God was poured out upon Christ. So, so God condemned sin so that he could forgive us and provide salvation, that which the law could not do. But then it gets real interesting. Look what he says. He condemns in the flesh, verse 4, so that, don't miss that, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. In other words, one of the outcomes of salvation is that we begin to live up to the law. God forgave us when we have fallen short. We've all fallen short. There's none righteous, no, not one. Jesus died for those sins. He died for our shortcomings. He died for our sin and imperfection. But after you become a Christian, God gives you the wherewithal through the indwelling spirit to begin to live according to the law. You could not obey the law before you were a Christian. But as a Christian now, you can obey the righteous commandments of God. The Spirit in you gives you the desire to do it and gives you the power to do it, right? And so we have this pursuit of righteousness as Christians. Once we're saved, we have a position of, of, of justification before God that will never change. 
We, we, we are forgiven, declared righteous by God. We've received that righteousness as a gift. But now as Christians, we want to honor God with our life. And we do that by obeying His commandments. By pursuing righteousness as Christians. And so, when I talk about the righteous life of Proverbs chapter 10, I'm talking about the pursuit of righteousness. I'm not talking about trying to be right with God. That only comes through Jesus. Amen? I'm talking about the Christian who is right with God, living according to His commandments to honor Him with their life. That's what I mean, the pursuit of righteousness. That's why Jesus is over in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Listen. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Jesus says the Christians should have this desire to pursue, to, to hunger and thirst after righteousness. You say, wait, how do you pursue righteousness? Well, that's what Proverbs is all about. If you look there in your notes, we pursue righteousness as we acquire wisdom and apply wisdom. We pursue righteousness as we acquire God's wisdom and apply God's wisdom. Now, I want you to hear me. I'm never going to be apologetic for calling you to righteous living. You know why? The Bible calls us to righteous living. Over in 1 Peter, the Lord says, Be holy, for I am holy. And we should never be apologetic or ashamed about calling each other to righteous living. Because listen to me, righteous living is what's best for our lives. So, so when, when, when someone, a, a, a friend in the faith or a pastor or a connect group leader or, or someone calls you to righteousness, you ought to be thrilled by that because they want what's best for your life. Right? For example, went to Uganda with Frank and Joey, and Alvin Kelly. And we went to Uganda, flew into Entebbe, uh, got a, a land cruiser in Kampala. We drove down, it was like 13 hours, down to Kasoro, and we trained pastors. And then after we had that time of, of training pastors, we left, and on our way back towards Entebbe, we stopped at a game park. And a game park, it's not like the Memphis Zoo, where, you, you know, it's, it's, you just, it, there's these roads, you just drive in there and just look around. There's no, there's no fences or any of this stuff, barriers. So we're driving on this little dirt road through the game park in the Land Cruiser. Frank's driving, we're all looking around, and we see an elephant. I mean, probably from, from here to uh, the parking lot out there. And so Joey and I, excitedly, jump out of the Land Cruiser to look at the, the, the elephant. And there's a kind of a tree between us, and he's, and he's looking at us. We're looking at him, and Joey's got a camera, and, and, and we're oohing and awing at this elephant. I mean, we're just there in the wild. I mean, there's no fence. There's no barrier. It's just us and the elephant, and it was awesome. Now, notice who's not out there with us, Alvin and Frank. Maybe there's something about this age wisdom thing. And, 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 the, and the elephant kind of moved his head a little bit, you know, and, you know, he's kind of moving, and, and, and I heard Frank's voice say this. You know, that is a wild animal. 
And I said, do you think we should get back in the, the, the Land Cruiser? He said, yeah. So, so, so we got back in the Land Cruiser and drove off. Now, when Frank warned us and said, that's, uh, that's a wild animal, how silly would it have been for me to say, Frank, you just expect too much from us. You're trying to take away all of our fun. Right? All these rules and, and, and commandments and regulations, you're just trying to steal our fun. Well, we know that's not what was happening. Frank was trying to spare us from, from pain, right? And death and destruction. He knew that being in the, the land cruiser was better for us than being out there with the wild elephant. And it's the same way with the commandments of God. When, when God calls us to righteousness, He's not trying to take away our fun. He's trying to give us life, what's best for us. Fulfillment and peace and joy and meaning and purpose and satisfaction. He's not trying to, he's not trying to, to, to take away our fun. He, he's trying to give us real life and keep us from harm and destruction because God knows how we're wired. He made us. He knows what's best for us. Every time I see a commandment of God, I've got to remember, God gives me this command because He knows what's best for my life. Right? He made me. He knows what's best for my life. And so to ignore the commandments of God and say, well, you know, righteous living is just too much for me to shoot for, too much for me to try to attain, is, is, would be the same as me saying to Frank, I'm going to hang out here with the elephant for a few more minutes. Foolish. Right? Foolish. And so... We go back to Proverbs 10 and talk about the, 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 the righteous living of the wise person. We're talking about not the position of righteousness. We're talking about the pursuit of righteousness. So turn back there with me, Proverbs 10. Proverbs chapter 10. Let's look at six characteristics of the righteous person. Six characteristics of the righteous person. I'm going to give these to you. We'll walk through them, then we'll pray together, and we'll close down our time. The first characteristic of the righteous person is this. Diligence. Diligence. Look what happens in verse 1 of chapter 10. The Proverbs of Solomon. A wise son makes the father glad, but a foolish son is a grief to his mother. Ill-gotten gains do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. The Lord will not allow the righteous to hunger, but he will reject the craving of the wicked. Poor is he who works with a, a negligent hand, but the hand of the diligent... Everybody say diligent. The hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a son who acts wisely, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who acts shamefully. Now, now what's happening here? Solomon is sharing some proverbs that point us to the, the need we all have to live diligent lives. He says there in verse 5, he who gathers in summer is the son who acts wisely. He who sleeps in harvest is the son who acts shamefully. Verse 4, the hand of the diligent makes rich. So he's saying here that God provides for our needs. But here's the question. How does God provide for our needs? The answer is here in the text. Through diligent work. If you look there in your notes, the diligence that the Lord instills in the righteous is His means to provide for their material needs. 
Let me say it again. The diligence that the Lord instills in the righteous, he gives us the, the wherewithal to be diligent, is the means to provide for their material needs. I'm guessing that, that this past week, no one came to your doorstep and left a bag of money to pay all your bills. Am I guessing correctly with you? Didn't happen to my house, it happened to your house. How do we pay our bills? Through the means God provides through our work, through our labor, through our diligence. That's why over in uh, 2 Thessalonians, Paul says, if you don't work, what? You don't eat, right? God uses our diligence, he uses our work ethic to provide for our needs. Isn't that cool? And what he does is he gives us this desire to be diligent. He gives us desire to work. We all know there's, we need to be doing something productive with our hands. And that, that diligence comes from the Lord, and it moves us to want to work and work hard and work for his glory so that God can provide for us through that work. Here's what Ray Ortland Jr. writes. He writes, how does God bless us? How does God actually put his money into our pockets? Here's his answer. Through the dignity of our own hard work. That's how God provides. So when you say, God, provide for my needs, you need to be putting on some work gloves at the same time because he's going to answer that prayer or roll up your sleeves. He's going to answer that prayer through your diligent work. That's the normal way God provides for his children. Isn't that cool? I think that's cool. Now, let, let me show you some other verses that relate to this. Look over in chapter 12, verse 11. He who tills the land, his land will have plenty of bread. But the root of the righteous, uh, but the root of the righteous, uh, sorry, verse 11. He who tills the land will have plenty of bread, but he who pursues worthless things lacks bread sense. And then look what he says over in chapter 13, verse 11. Wealth obtained by fraud dwindles, doesn't last. But the one who gathers by labor increases it. As a general rule of thumb, if you look at people that live through deception, through fraud, trying to get rich quick, their money's not going to last. They're always going to be needy for, for more and more and more. But those that work with their hands can trust God's ongoing daily provision for their lives. God provides through the diligence of the righteous. Christians, those that have been saved, should have a great work ethic. Because God wants to instill that in you. Right? That's what God wants. He, we, Christians should be the best workers at any job because they're working not for man's approval. They're working for the glory of God. And they're working with a purpose. They know that when they get a paycheck, they get to be involved in ministry. They get to give that money to the Lord's work and, and touch the world through their giving. And they get to provide for their family. Right? And they get to, to, to be a, a productive member of society. And so Christians have a purpose behind their work. That's why it's so important that we teach our young, our young people, our kids, that work is very, very important. Not just something you do because you do it. It's something you do as a person of dignity, living for the glory of God. God provides through our diligence. Now, I remember in seminary we did a class on missiology, which is the study of 
of missions all around the world and, and how God's working through different methods and means around the world as the gospel goes forth and what happens when the gospel enters into an area. And, and missiologists began to notice this phenomena that they call redemption and lift. Redemption and lift. Here's what they mean by that. They noticed that when the gospel went into an area and a lot of folks got saved, the socioeconomic level of that area usually went up. People began to make more money and, and, and have more means. You know why? Because when the gospel went in these areas, you know what followed it? Work ethic. Diligence. People started doing the right thing, which is working hard. Letting God provide through your work. And so missiologists call this redemption lift. If you, if you look missiologically anywhere in the world, when the gospel really penetrates an area, the socioeconomic level usually goes up a notch. Because those that are redeemed, those that are saved, have this diligence given to them by God. And God provides for them through their diligence. Does that make sense? And so a righteous person is a diligent person. They're a person that works hard and, and has a, a real work ethic in their life. Diligence. Here's the second characteristic of the righteous. A concern for legacy. Oh, this is so important. A concern for legacy. Now look what happens in Proverbs 10, verse 6. Blessings are on the head of the righteous. Generally speaking, those that are living righteous life will experience blessings in their life. But the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Their, their mouths are, are, are concealing their true intent and true motivations of their heart. Look in verse 7. Powerful verse. The memory of the righteous is blessed, but the name of the wicked will rot. That's a pretty stark verse, isn't it? Now, let me ask you a question. There's probably going to be about two generations of people beyond you that really remember you. It's a sobering thought, isn't it? How many can tell me a great deal about their great-grandparents? Maybe some of you, maybe some of you are on Ancestry.com, and, and you can give me all the facts, all that kind of stuff. But most of us can't give, maybe beyond names and where they live, maybe occupation, we can't tell each other a lot about our great-grandparents, certainly not our great-great-grandparents. So you're looking at two, three generations after you're gone where people are even going to remember you. All right? After that, no one's coming to visit your grave. Right? I mean, is that, I'm, I'm, am I speaking the truth? You say, well, that's, that's, that's depressing. No, it's not. we got eternity in heaven waiting for us. If you're, if, listen, if you're living for this short little lifespan and that's all you're living for, then you're missing it. We're not living for this, 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 this broken down world. We're living for eternity, aren't we? There's something much, listen, there's, much, there's something much greater waiting for us. Hope you know that. But, back to the sobering thought, two, three generations, no one's going to remember you. Now, those generations that do remember you, what are they going to say about you? What memories are they going to have of you? What impact will you have made on those who said generations? Here's the thing. Righteous people care about that. 
Righteous people want to live a God, leave a godly legacy. They do. It's, it's, it's inherent in them. And I believe ungodly people don't care. Let me show you an example. Turn over with me to Isaiah chapter 39. Now, this is a story about Hezekiah who started great. I mean, boy, he was doing some great things for the Lord. But then he turned inward and turned his heart away from God, and he finished poorly. And in chapter 39 of Isaiah, we see that, that Hezekiah wants to show off his treasure to the king of Babylon. You know, one king to another. Let me show you how great my kingdom is. He says in verse 2 that Hezekiah was pleased and showed them all his treasure house, the silver, the gold, and the spices, the precious oil, and his whole armory, and all that was found in his treasures. There is nothing in his house, nor in all his dominion, that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet came to king Hezekiah and said to him, what did these men say, and from where had they come to you? Hezekiah said, they have come to me from a far country, from Babylon. He said, what had they seen in your house? So Hezekiah answered, they have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing among my treasuries that I have not shown them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and all that your fathers have laid up in store to this day will be carried to Babylon and nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your sons who will issue from you, whom you will beget, will be taken away. They will become officials in the palace of the king of Babylon. So here's what he's saying. Because of your proud heart, all that you think is yours is going to be taken away by the Babylonians one day. Even your kids and your kids' kids are going to be taken into exile to a foreign land to live as slaves. Now, that fact should bother a godly person. But look at how Hezekiah responds. This is, a, this is really a shocking verse. Look what he does in the next verse. Hezekiah said to, to Isaiah, The word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. What? For he thought, For there will be peace and truth in my days. Long as I'm good, I don't care what happens to my kids. He didn't care about legacy. He didn't care about godliness going on and being passed on to successive generations. He only cared about his day, what he wanted. No concern with legacy. Listen, that's not how a godly person thinks. Here's how a godly person thinks. Turn to Proverbs chapter 20 with me. Proverbs chapter 20. Great verse. Claire bought me a little picture frame. This is there by my bathroom sink. So when I'm brushing my teeth, I see this verse every morning. Proverbs 20, verse 7. Men, mark it in your Bible. Highlight it, put a star by it, put it on index card, tape it on your mirror. I mean, learn this verse. A righteous man who walks in integrity, how blessed are his sons after him. Legacy. Your life, your influence, your memory, your reputation influences the next generations for good. That's what legacy is. And righteous folks have a concern for legacy. And so I believe that folks that really love the Lord, the more you love the Lord, the more you're walking with God, the more you're going to care about your kids and your kids' kids. And you're going to stop living just for your life and your comfort and your convenience and your acquiring things. You're going to stop about living just for stuff and you're going to start living for the next generations. That's what, that's what righteous people do. They care about their kids and care about their kids' kids. A concern 
for legacy. Next, the next characteristic of the righteous is this, teachability. Oh, this is a big one. Look with me in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 8. Proverbs 10, verse 8. The wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will be ruined. I love that phrase, a babbling fool. You know, it pictures, it pictures someone that won't shut their mouth long enough to, to learn anything. What are you saying? But the wise person, the godly person, the righteous person has this desire to, to be taught, to acquire truth. It says there in verse 8, that they, they will receive commandments. Not God trying to take their fun away or hold some standard out there that's too high, but God knowing what's best for them and them, them embracing those commandments and living according to those commandments. That's teachability. Look in verse 17 of chapter 10. He is on the path of life. In other words, he's on the right path. Who? The one who heeds instruction. You want to know if you're on the right path in life? Are you teachable? Are you still a learner? Are you still growing in your knowledge of God and knowledge of His ways and knowledge of His words so you can live in a way that honors Him? Look in verse 17, the second part. He who ignores reproof goes astray. You know the folks are who ignore reproof? These are the folks that come to church and have their arms crossed. They sit down and... They don't sing a line of any song. I'm going to talk about that on Sunday, by the way. You need to be here on Sunday for that. I'm going to talk about singing. Be here Sunday. And, uh, and, and they had their arms crossed, and they sit back with this attitude. They may not say it a lot, but this, here's their attitude. Preacher, you can't teach me a thing. You don't teach me a thing. I'm not here to learn. I'm just here out of obligation, or maybe because somebody expects me to be here, or maybe it's... It makes me look like an upstanding citizen, but I, I'm not here to learn. You're not, you're not going to teach me a thing. And the Bible calls that foolishness. It does. Because they, they, all the answers is foolishness. No one has all the answers. We've still all got a long way to go. A lot to learn, right? We should maintain the posture of learners. That's what righteous people do. Righteous people want to learn. They want to grow. They want to move forward. They, want to, they, they don't want to be stagnant. They know they've still got a long way to go. That's what he says, teachability. So here's the question. Are you teachable? Are you teachable? Can anybody tell you anything? I'm not talking about just biblical things, but just life. Are you teachable? When, when, when you're around a group of folks, are you doing all the talking? Or are you listening to and learning from others? Teachability. That's what righteous people exhibit, is that desire to learn. Next, this is, this is key, another characteristic of the righteous is integrity. Integrity. Look with me in chapter 10, verse 9. He who walks in integrity walks securely. But he who perverts his ways will be found out. Look in verse 10. He who winks the eye causes trouble. You know what winking the eye means? It means you're deceptive. If I say something to you about winking at you, I'm really not telling you the truth, right? If I tell you, hey, I'm singing a special on Sunday. Wink, wink. That's a lie, right? And you know that by my winking. So he's talking about here of deception. He says, he says there that, that he who winks the eye causes trouble and a babbling fool will be 
ruin. And so the idea here is that if you live in integrity, you can expect God's protection over your life. He will protect those who walk in integrity. Now the word translated integrity cares with the idea of perfection, purity, innocence. It means to do the right thing for the right reasons. Look down in verse 29. The way of the Lord is a stronghold to the upright. That word upright is the same exact word for integrity. The Lord is a strong, he's a fortress to those who have integrity in their life. But ruin to the workers of iniquity. And so we've got to make a choice every day. Am I going to walk the road of integrity? Or am I going to walk the road of iniquity? And if you want God to be your fortress, your stronghold in the days of trouble, you better be found on the road of integrity. I'll never forget it. I was a teenage boy. My dad and I were bass fishing on the Santa Fe River in Florida, central Florida. Beautiful day, and that, that river is, comes from a spring. It's clear water, which is really hard for bass fishing, by the way, but that's a different story. And we were sitting there on the boat and bass fishing, and, and we began to talk about some issues and, and things my dad encountered in the workplace, and, and we began to talk about the issue of integrity. My dad said, Wade, you know what integrity is? I said, what? He said, integrity is what you do and who you are when no one's around watching. And that's always stuck with me. I mean, it's easy to do the right thing when someone's watching you, right? But what, what, what about when no one's watching you flip through the channels at night? Or watching you fill out your expense report at work? Or watching you write down your hours, or take that test, or we can go on and on and on and on. Integrity is what you do, it's who you are when no one's around watching. We can all put on a show for each other, we're good at that. It comes naturally if we'll allow that to happen. We're, we're, we can all act right when someone's around watching us, but who are you when no one's watching? Who are you when you think what you're doing is hidden? Who are you then? Every day we've got to make a decision. Am I going to live with integrity or am I going to go down the road of iniquity and sin and deception? We've got to make that decision every day. And you don't need me to tell you this, but our society is lacking integrity. Every corner of society, we are losing integrity. And integrity is like a backbone for society. I mean, you used to get a, could get a deal done with just a handshake. Remember those days? But now you've got to sign your life away. Right? Why? There's no integrity. People don't say what they mean. They don't mean what they say. They don't keep their word. They live a different way in, in, in private than they do in public. They're duplicitous. They're two-faced. And, and really, what's happening is our society's collapsing. And it goes back to this issue of integrity. Godly people, righteous people, will exhibit integrity. Doesn't mean we don't ever mess up or, or have a, you know, a bad day or a bad moment or make a bad decision, but it means that the, the trajectory of our life is towards integrity. It means there's this desire in our life to live out, to flesh out integrity with our family, in our workplace, with our friends, in our recreation, with our money. 
in, in ministry, everything. We want to have integrity. Do you have it? Do you have a desire for it? Righteous people do. That's what he's saying. But there's another aspect of righteousness I want you to see, the pursuit of righteousness. And it is righteous speech. Righteous speech. Look in verse 10 with me. He who winks the eye causes trouble, and a babbling fool will be ruined. So he mentions there the babbling, the, the incessant talking. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. Good things come, flow from those who are righteous. But the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. It's used for deception. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. We'll get back in a minute. Get back to that in a minute. Verse 13. On the lips of the discerning, wisdom is found, but a rod is for the back of him who lacks understanding. Wise men store up knowledge, but with the mouth of the foolish, ruin is at hand. So he's talking here about, about speech, what comes out of our mouths. And those who are righteous have a desire to speak righteously, to have righteous speech. Look in verse 18 with me. He who conceals hatred has lying lips, and he who speaks spreads slander is a fool. When there are many words, I like this, when there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. In other words, if you talk all the time, you're going to blow it eventually. You're going to say the wrong thing, say something stupid, because we're not designed to talk all the time. When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. But he who restrains his lips is wise. I was in a meeting uh, recently, and uh, you know the other pastors there, and, and we were talking about some issue, and and uh, we we're talking about church planting is what the meeting was about. And I went in that meeting, saying, you know what, I, I'm not, I'm just going to listen. I'm not going to talk. I'm just going to listen and sit back. And, and just, you know, and just, and, you know, I just want to hear what other people have to say about this, these issues. We plant churches, and, and I want to learn from some folks and see what they have, see their perspective. And I want you to know, it was the hardest. I mean, I said, I want to talk so bad. And I can't want to. And I said, no, nope. well, he said, you're not going to talk. And I can't want to jump in there and say something. But I said, no, nope. he said, you're not going to talk. But then I just lost it. I started talking. I just, before I knew it, I was talking away. And I thought, wait, where was your resolve to sit in this meeting and not talk? We all had that desire, don't we, to just, just, just get our word in there. Have you ever been talking to somebody, listen, and you don't hear what they're saying because you're thinking about what you're going to say next? Raise your hand that's ever happened to you. If they ask you, what did I just say? You say, I have no clue, but I know what I'm about to say. Right? He's saying there, where there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. The tongue of the righteous is as choice silver. The heart of the wicked is worth little. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of understanding. And so listen, verse 11, is your mouth a fountain of life? Or is your mouth just a babbling mouth that harms instead of heals? Those that are righteous have a desire for righteous speech. John Piper in a sermon on this text asked these questions. Does your mouth usually heal people with words of grace and love and kindness, or does it wound people with insensitive, harsh, critical, unhelpful words? And does your mouth usually deliver and protect people with advocacy and partnership, or does it join the attack? Evaluate your words. Does life come from your words? Does encouragement come from your words? 
your words build up or tear down. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to show you another verse that you really need to mark in your Bible. We quote this all the time to our kids. Ephesians chapter 4. Look in verse 29. Again, mark this in your Bible. It says in Ephesians 4, 29, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification. That means to build up according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. So very simple. Do, do your words tear down or build up? Righteous folks speak words that build up. And by the way, where do your words come from? What did Jesus tell us? Where do our words come from? Our heart, right? Said, what comes out of your mouth comes from the heart. And so if you want to speak righteous words, you've got to have a righteous heart. You can also look at James 3 about the tongue. It's a great passage to, to look at. But, but righteous folks have a concern for righteous speech. You, th th their life is characterized by, by saying things that build up and not tear down. And then last, as we think about characteristics of the righteous, we've seen diligence, we've seen a concern for legacy, we've seen teachability, integrity, righteous speech, but, but sixth and last is love. Look in Proverbs 4.12 with me. Proverbs 4.12. Again, this chapter is a, is, a, is a string of pearls. Sorry, chapter 10, verse 12. This, uh, this passage is a string of pearls. And in the middle of all these verses about integrity and speech and, and diligence, there's this one little pearl. And look what he says in verse 12. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. A righteous person is not a hateful person. A righteous person is a loving person. Love characterizes their life. This verse is alluded to in 1 Peter 4.8 and in James 5.20 that this, this idea of, of loving people covers for their shortcomings and their transgressions and helps you to not accept their sin but to love them even in the midst of what they're going through. Love. Love is the cardinal virtue of Christianity. It's what it's all about. Isn't that what Jesus said when he was asked, what are the greatest commandments? He said, well, the first one is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart. By the way, Sunday, just a preview, I'm going to talk about what it means to love God with all your heart. And part of it's singing, but we'll get to that Sunday, all right? So be here. Unless you don't like to sing, I wouldn't come Sunday. I, no, come, you need to hear it. All right. Where was I? Love. Okay, love the Lord with all your heart. With all your soul, with all your mind. That's what Jesus said. Second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so Christianity is all about love. Loving God, loving others. It's all about love. And so a righteous person will be a person that loves. Now I want you to hear me. This is important. It's possible to have an upstanding life where you're keeping the rules. But you're keeping the rules without love. And those kind of folks are no fun to be around. It's possible to, to keep all the rules and, 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 and do things righteously, 
but have no love in your life. And that's not attractive to, the, uh, to a lost and dying world. They don't need to see rule keepers. They need to see folks that are passionately in love with Jesus and passionately loving others for the glory of Christ, right? Rule keepers is not attractive. It's not attractive to folks. But folks that really love each other and love others, that's attractive. That'll get the attention of a lost and dying world. That will get the attention of a community, right? And so let's be people of love. That's the characteristics of the righteous. And, and you know, I would just say to you that love is one of the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit of the God has to have control of your life to, to bear that fruit in your life. It's not something you just work up. You don't say, okay, wait, tomorrow I'm going to be more loving. No, you say, tomorrow the Spirit will have control of my life. And tomorrow the Spirit will bear through me the love I need to have for God and for others. Not something you produce in your own strength. It's something that God does in you. And so, righteous people are people characterized by love. Love covers all transgressions. That's why righteous folks are quick forgivers. Because they love. Right? Not hard, it's not hard to forgive when you love. I was thinking to somebody the other day who is, is in a prodigal state, running from God, stirring up strife in their family. And I was thinking about this person's dad. And I know his dad. And I thought, you know what? It would be just like Luke 15. If that young man would begin to run back to God, his father would come running. There's no doubt in my mind. Just like the father in Luke 15. With open arms, putting a robe on his son, killing the fatted calf. I know that would happen because this young man's dad is a man of love. He would be so quick to forgive. So quick. And that's what righteous people are like. They love. They're quick to forgive. They love others. And so Proverbs 10 is all about righteousness not not the position of righteousness that only comes as a gift from god through jesus christ but the pursuit of righteousness those that are christians want to be righteous to please god and he helps us to live that kind of life by his indwelling spirit and so there's a great list again take home put in your bible take home and pray over it tomorrow in your in your quiet time lord are these things characteristic in my life and if they're not why and and god would you do this in me would you produce these things in me so that I can live a life that, that points others to you, characterized by righteousness?